Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 10. That's our passage today. Acts chapter 10. We're returning to our series entitled Turning Points, Pivotal Moments in the Book of Acts. And here we are in Acts chapter 10, seeing the gospel message cross over into the Gentiles. Here's the key concept for today. Jesus is for all people. Jesus is for all people. Acts chapter 10. Let me, when you're, while you're finding that passage, let me uh, just remind you of this uh, situation from the past. Mohandas Gandhi, while he was living in England, took upon himself to read the Bible. He grew up as a Hindu, of course, and was as known as a, a Hindu man, but he read the Bible and particularly read through the Gospels. And as he was reading the Gospels, he became impressed in his spirit with Jesus Christ. And he wanted to know more about the Christian faith. And one day, he went to, uh, on Sunday, he went to a church uh, to, to try to just get a little more information about Christianity. But he was met at that church door with an usher who would not uh, let him into the door. And the usher said, go worship with your own kind, as he looked at Gandhi's dark skin. And Gandhi left that church never to investigate Christianity ever, even, uh, even further. And he remarked on that situation one day. He wrote about it, and he said, if Christians have uh, caste differences, talking about the racial caste system in India, if Christians have caste differences, I might as well remain a Hindu. Well, in our passage today, we see that God does not want the message of hope contained to any specific ethnic group. We're going to see in our passage that God does not want the message of the gospel contained to any particular language group. God values all people, and the love of Jesus is for all. Acts chapter 10 opens in the home of a Roman officer, specifically in Cornelius' home. And he's serving in Caesarea, which is a seaport town and a place where the, the Roman soldiers were garrisoned. And so you follow along as I read, starting in Acts chapter 10. It says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And Acts chapter 10 begins by introducing us to a man named Cornelius. We see that he's a Roman soldier. But more than that, we see he also is a centurion, which means he's a leader of soldiers. Now, that word might lead you to believe he led a cohort of 100 soldiers, but in reality, historians tell us he probably commanded more like 300 to 600 men. And we are told in this passage that they are all Italians, the Italian regiment, which means that he's not uh, leading regional conscripts, but, but the soldiers from back in uh, on the peninsula of Italy. 
Now, to get to this position, we, would need, we need to understand Cornelius to be a respected and experienced soldier, probably an honored soldier. But Luke makes great points to tell us that he is also a God-fearer. What does that mean? God-fearer was a technical term for a, a person who was formerly a pagan who is now coming to believe in the one true God of the Jews. He is a God-fearer along with his home. He's not a proselyte, which, which means he hasn't converted fully to Judaism because that of, would have required circumcision in this context. But he believes in the one true God, and that, that belief is changing his life. We see here in this passage that he's known to be generous and that he's a man of prayer. And one day, three in the afternoon, he's going to prayer. Now, don't miss that, because three in the afternoon was the Jewish, the Hebrew time of prayer. In other words, he is already practicing devoutly the practices of his new faith, this faith in the one true God. And as he is praying at three in the afternoon, an angel appears to him. God has noticed Cornelius. I want to pause there for a moment because I want you to understand God has noticed you as well. God sees you. God knows you. God understands right where you are and just what you need and what you need next. And the Almighty has recognized that Cornelius needs to be willing to take a next step. He's aware of God. He's sensitive in his conscience to do that which is right. He's seeking to live rightly. But he needs to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. You see, his religion won't save him. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will save him. And God recognizes that's the next step for Cornelius. And so he sends an angel. And the angel says, send for Peter so that he can come and tell you the good news. That's happening in Caesarea. Meanwhile, up the coast, just a little ways, the Lord is also working on the heart of Peter. Go down to verse 9, and we'll continue the reading. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, this is the, the men that Cornelius sent to get Peter, the next day Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. As we come to Peter, let's catch up on the details of, of the story thus far. You see, Peter is at this point in his life on what we might call a missionary tour or a pastoral tour because he's stopping off on, in, at some of the cities where small churches, small groups of Christians are, are growing up. Back in Acts chapter 9, we see that he has visited a city called Lydda. Lydda is about where Tel Aviv is today. In fact, the Tel Aviv airport is where, 
is where Lydda was in these ancient times. And so he's, he's at the coast. He's on the, 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 the seashore there in Lydda. And there, by the power of God, he performs a miracle and he heals a man named Aeneas. And, and as he's doing that, he's invited to come further down the coast to a city called Joppa. And there in Joppa, uh, Dorcas, a, a well-known saint of that church, has passed away. And again, through the power of God, the Apostle Peter is able to bring Dorcas back to life. He's consistently moving southward along the coast, visiting these believers in Jesus Christ. And how did they come to be believers in Jesus Christ? Well, no doubt these were individuals who had heard Peter preach on Pentecost. And they came to faith in Christ back in Jerusalem on Pentecost, and they have now returned to their home cities, and they're taking the gospel with them, and they're taking their faith along. And Caesarea, where Cornelius is, is just a, further, a little bit further south along the coast of Israel, a little south of Joppa. And I point these things out to you because one of the things that I like to see about this story is how God takes care of the loose ends of life. God does not leave things hanging. Peter is already in the area, and he's already coming in the direction of Cornelius when the angel says to Cornelius, send for Peter. God takes care of the loose ends. Maybe you think there's loose ends in your life right now. Maybe there's details in your life that you can't see how they're going to come together. doesn't seem like things are lining up, but God takes care of the loose ends. Bring your loose ends to Jesus because he has the ability to put it right. And at the very time that God is breaking through to Cornelius, he already has Peter in the area, in the region, moving towards where Cornelius is. And he's also already working in the heart and the mind of Peter. Peter is going through some changes. He's starting to have new values in his life. Particularly, he's starting to value people more than the rigid barriers of the rules and the law that he was raised with. We see that particularly at just a little subtle insight in the fact that Peter was staying at the home of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. What is a tanner? A tanner is a person who works with the skins of animals and uses the skins of animals, preparing them to be leather goods that were sold in the markets of the day. It meant that a tanner, each and every day, as a part of his profession, was touching the dead bodies of animals and therefore was ceremonially unclean. His house was considered unclean. A religious Jew would not go to the house of a tanner. In, in fact, the homes of the tanners needed to be outside the city limits. It is likely that the, the local synagogue members would have shunned Simon the tanner. And in the old days, so would have Peter. Peter would have nothing to do with this man who was continuously unclean. But now, Peter's beginning to change his mind. He's beginning to change his heart through the love of Jesus Christ. Now he sees that Simon the Tanner has come to faith in Jesus, and he doesn't see him anymore as a man who is unclean. He sees him as a brother in Jesus Christ. And so with these new things in mind, with these new assumptions, he's staying at his home. I want you to see how the assumptions that the apostles are working with are changing over time. You see, in the old days, 
Peter would have assumed that the contamination and the uncleanness of that individual who was ceremonial unclean would have flowed towards him. And so he would shun the unclean person, not go into their homes, not, not touch them and that kind of thing. Now that's why the unclean people were kind of separated away. But Peter has come to a new assumption. He's come to a new belief. And that is that the gospel reverses that flow. Now the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the grace of Jesus flows from him toward those. And they are no longer considered unclean. Where did he get such a radical idea? Where did he get such an idea that was so different from the assumptions he grew up with in his culture? He got that radical idea from Jesus himself because Jesus was the one who was willing to touch the leper. Jesus was the one who was willing to have those that society considered to be outcast or unclean come and be with him and actually touch him because he knew that his power was greater. He knew his love and his grace would reverse that flow. Contamination would not touch him. As a matter of fact, blessing would touch them. And Peter believed that as well. And so here he is on the roof of a, someone who he formerly would shun. And he's staying in that home. And he's up on that flat roof where they have the, the ability to catch the breeze off of the ocean and get a little bit of coolness in the day. And even though he's pushing the boundaries of his former understanding, God gives him a vision that pushes those boundaries even further he lets down this vision of unclean, we, we would call it non-kosher food, and he says, kill and eat. Now, Peter is not ready for that. He's not ready for that step. He's not up for that. And even, even though he's making progress, he's not there yet. And may it not be so, Lord, he says. You know, I, I don't eat unclean food, but even that stretch isn't far enough. Because what God's going to really want him to do, he's going to want him to reach out to people that he would have formerly considered unreachable, even the Gentiles. More than that, a Roman soldier. Peter had to break down the barriers of his mind and the barriers of his assumptions. In verse 15, uh, he's, uh, the Lord says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The traditions need to change. Now, traditions are not a bad thing, but traditions become negative when there are activities that we do without thinking about them, that they're things that we just engage in with no reason whatsoever. When that's the case or when situations are changing, we have to reconsider our traditions. I heard about one tradition that, I, that is memorable to me. William Poteet talks about a scene that takes place in 1903. The Tsar of Russia in 1903 noticed that there was a sentry posted in the middle of the grounds of the Kremlin. In the Kremlin Square, right in the middle, there was a sentry that was posted. And come to think of it, he thought to himself, I always see this sentry standing in the middle of the grounds. Now, there's no good reason to have a sentry there. He's not really protecting anything. There's no strategic advantage. And so he asked people in the court, why is it that we have that sentry posted in the middle of the square? No one, no one knew. 
No one had a reason for it. It's just something we do. We've always done it that way. The sentry has been posted in the middle of the square. But he was not willing just to accept that answer. So he had research done to find out when this tradition had started. And sure enough, it went all the way back to 1776, and where they found that Catherine the Great had seen the first flower of spring at that location. And she posted a guard there so that no one would trample on the first flower of spring in 1776. Now it was almost 130 years later, and that guard is still being posted there every single spring. No one knows why. No one asked any questions. It's just what we do. Empty tradition. Now, like I said, tradition can be good. It can breed a sense of familiarity. It can connect us to the past. If we understand what's going on, it has a sense of comfort for many of us. But oftentimes, it diminishes to lack of purpose, or it can become negative. For Peter, it was time to reconsider the traditional understanding about the distinction between Jew and Gentile, because that understanding had become negative and against God's will. See, we have to grasp what a big deal this would be uh, for this barrier to come down. The prejudice against the Gentiles on the part of the Jews was an entrenched reality. And it, it, it was an entrenched reality because they used the Word of God to support it. They twisted the meaning of the Word of God. God sent His revelation and His Messiah to one of the world's families, His chosen people, the Jews, but not so that they could hold on to that hope themselves and become superior, but so that through them the gospel would penetrate the entire world. But that fact was twisted, and the idea of favoritism took hold, and favoritism gave birth to pride, and pride gave birth to hatred and prejudice, and that prejudice considered Jews here in the first century to think of themselves as superior to other people. In fact, non-Jews were considered on equal level with dogs of no value, scavengers and the like. No religious Jew, therefore, would have anything to do with a Gentile or would enter their home and be a part of their life. But these attitudes were not the attitudes of God. They were not the teaching of the Word of God. On the contrary, God is clear throughout the Hebrew Scriptures that He intends His love to go to the whole world. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. But somewhere along the line, that, law, that idea had been lost. They became, in a sense, superior, and the dietary laws were, in a sense, the badge of distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. Peter had lived in that tradition all of his life. It was just embedded in his soul and in his understanding so deeply that when God himself says, Peter, take and eat, Peter argues with him three times. It's almost as if Peter is saying to God, God, I can't obey your word because I'm too busy obeying your rules. But things were changing. God knew that that prejudice had to be cut out like a cancer. And he had to move his message of the gospel outward from the Jews. And God is saying, Peter, 
I care about people more than I care about your rules. I'm more concerned about people, and not just people like you, all kinds of people, everyone. The gospel, Jesus, is for all. Prejudice on the lips of a Christian is an obscenity. Prejudice in the heart of a Christian is sin. These barriers need to be broken down. And this vision so upset Peter that he's, he's still dealing with it while Cornelius' people arrive. Go to verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. That word wondering in verse 17, if you're looking at your Bible, that word in Greek, it's translating a word that talks about confusion of thought. It's, it's like pondering something that you're not quite clear about, making it go over and over in your mind. You just don't get it. What is God telling me to do? Eat unclean food? That doesn't, just doesn't sound right to me. Peter's you know, at odds with himself, and in the midst of thinking that through, ding-dong, downstairs, you know, Romans are at the door. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go home with those Romans. And uh, I want you to follow my lead in terms of what God is doing. You can imagine, Peter, you know, this is all coming so fast. First, the dietary laws, and now I have to go home with Gentiles, and not just any Gentiles. These are Romans. These are invaders. These are the enemy. Why did it have to be Romans? But God is teaching Peter an important lesson. Lighten up, Peter. Go home with these men. Repent of your rigidity and see people with the eyes of love the way that God does. And so Peter does go to the home of Cornelius, and he sees for himself that God has been working in the heart of this Gentile. Peter's vision is expanded. His heart is pried open. And Cornelius explains to Peter this encounter he has had with the angel of God. Now, let's pick up the reading in verse 34. As Peter is talking to Cornelius about the hope in Jesus Christ, and then it says, Then Peter began to speak, saying, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and who do what is right. I love that saying. God does not show favoritism. It means two things. It means, first of all, that there is no one who is outside the scope of the love of God. God does not show favoritism. He is for all. And secondly, it means all people come to God in the exact same way. God does not show favoritism. Jesus is the way. We Christians are called to see the world the way that God sees the world. And we sometimes fall into the very kind of attitude that we see Peter displaying early in this, in this passage. It may shock you, believer, to know that God loves the atheist. God loves the prostitute. God loves the homosexual. God loves the alcoholic. He loves the drug abuser. He loves that one with AIDS. He loves that 
addict who's addicted to pornography. God loves the people who are in prison. All these people and all the categories you can think about. Everybody is a person that Jesus died for. And he died out of love. And he wants to lift them up. And he wants to show them salvation and hope and grace and mercy. He wants to show all people. He does not show favoritism. Everyone is under the scope of the love of God. And secondly, no favoritism. Everyone comes to God the exact same way. God does not have a plan of salvation for some that includes repentance, faith, belief, and obedience, but for others doesn't include those things. No, no. Everyone comes to God the exact same way. The plan of salvation is the same for all. All who come into the kingdom of God come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come into the kingdom of God, everybody is a first-class citizen in his sight. Now, Peter lived in a day when the value of a person was determined by their heritage or their family line. We live in a day very often where a value of a person is determined by their appearance or their performance you look a certain way or you have certain possessions and so forth. But I want you to understand, God does not write the price tags on people that way. Everyone has value simply because you are born into the human family. You are part of the human race for whom Christ died. You are created in the image of God. No title, no degree, no looks, no clothes, no success. Nothing will change that. He will never love you less. He will never love you more. He loves you completely right now. And that emotional barrier has to be crossed by, by Peter to escape his prejudice, and because God is already pushing through the spiritual barrier. And Peter does uh, push through those barriers. He explains the gospel message to Cornelius. Cornelius comes to faith in Christ. Look at verse 44. It says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Cornelius says yes to faith in Christ. Cornelius experiences the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, and he and his household speak in tongues. It raises a question. Why is it that the, the, we see the speaking in tongues here uh, as God breaks through to Cornelius? Peter has explained the gospel message. Uh, Cornelius has come to faith, but they speak in tongues. Why is that? And the reason for that is because this is a Pentecost experience for the Gentiles. This is the big message that God is giving the Jewish Christians. He's saying that these Gentiles have come to faith just as much as you have. God is present in their life just as much as He's in your life. The Holy Spirit is working in them just like you. This is exactly the same thing that you experienced back in, in Pentecost. And Peter even makes that statement in verse 47. They're, they're experiencing things just like us. See, here's the point. At the foot of the cross, there's common ground. Everybody is united in Christ Jesus. They're just as accepted and just as saved as the Jewish Christians were. God is at work bringing people together, and He's still doing that, breaking down barriers. 
Cornelius, the Roman soldier, finds common ground at the foot of the cross with Peter, the Jewish Christian. So what does this mean to us? Well, quickly, it means, first of all, that we need to understand that our comfort zones too easily turn into rigid barriers. We are meant to depend not on our traditions, but to look to the people that God loves and see them with the eyes of love. We're called to look out and recognize that Christ loves all people, even those that are not like us, no matter what us means to you. And it tells me that we are meant to understand that that which really brings unity among diversity is Jesus, not politics and not protests. That which really brings unity among diversity is Jesus. So watch out for the creeping prejudice that Satan wants to plant in our heart. Let the love of Jesus wash that away. But also, I want you to see how God uses people to tell the story of the gospel. The angel could have talked to Cornelius about Jesus, but he said, no, send for Peter so that Peter could come and give a witness of his experience with Jesus. And there are people around you, believer, that God is sending you to, people who are in that situation like Cornelius, interested, leaning in, asking questions, moving toward the faith. It's time for us to notice those people and to speak the message of love. But I also realize that some of us watching this broadcast today may not have found the truth that Cornelius finds. You might be like him, wondering about the things of Christ and wondering, you know, if there's many ways to come to salvation and hope. But there's only one way, because God does not show favoritism. Jesus said this of himself in, in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. When you go to God through Jesus Christ, what you find is forgiveness and you find love, but it takes surrender on your part. But you're surrendering to love and you're surrendering to hope. And there's some of us maybe watching this broadcast right now and you're saying, I need to do that because that's next. God is watching you. God notices you just like he noticed Cornelius. God sees you trying hard, and he recognizes that the next thing is the thing of faith, is the moment of surrender. And if you need that, you know you need that because the Holy Spirit is the one who's telling you that. It comes by faith, but that faith is expressed in a prayer. And I'd like to help you do that. So if that's where you are today, I want to ask you just to, to bow your head and close your eyes. In fact, let's all do that. If you're in the courtyard or in your home, let's spend a moment in prayer because for some of us, this is a time when we're going to cross that boundary just like Cornelius and say yes to faith. I'm going to help you pray that prayer of faith. And if that's you, you're in that position, you say this, silently where you sit, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for loving me. I believe you can forgive me. Wash the guilt of my sin away. I trust you. Make me your child. Lord, I don't know how many people who are watching this broadcast prayed that prayer, but I believe there are some because that's what you want. That's what you do. You continue to change us from the inside out. So, Lord, I pray that they would know, those who have said yes to you today would know that there's been a change. I pray that they would know that they are now walking by faith. And in that faith, Lord, I pray that you grow them day by day. 
Help us, all of us who are believers, who are already in the kingdom, help us see with the eyes of love the spiritual need around us and be those that you use to tell the gospel story just like Peter in our passage. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to do that. Give us courage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to conclude our service with a song, but maybe you prayed that prayer to receive Christ uh, today, and if you did, I'd like to send you this book that's entitled, Now What? Some New Steps, uh, First Steps in the Christian Life. But in order to send you this booklet that gets you started, I need to know your contact information. So once again, in these days, we're doing that by text. If you text the word FAITH, to 209-257-8768, and uh, you'll receive a form that you'll fill out your contact information, and when I get that back, I'm able to send you this booklet along with a a greeting from me, and we can begin this journey of faith together. So don't hesitate to do that, all right? And uh, for for all of us here, we're going to end today in uh, a song, so let's have the team come back, and they'll lead us.
Amen. Amen. In closing today, hear these words as an encouragement from King David. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Amen and God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today.